Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, Andre here. This is part two of the US Open recap uh, episodes that we're doing with uh, Mert. And uh, this time we will be mostly focusing on the men's final of the US Open. So hope you enjoyed this. Now, if, if you guys want to move on like to the uh, to the men's tournament, I to be perfectly honest, I I don't want to I don't feel like I uh, all I want to talk about is the men's final because it was so out of it, it was such a such a different point in the tournament from the the whole thing the, the men's final was completely different but like if, if you guys want to mention a little bit of some of the uh the semifinals or quarters or players that caught your attention a little bit like do you guys have anything that you want to add before we we de- dive deep into that final <laughs> because i'm pretty sure we all have too many things to say about that the yeah. final the final is go ahead Vance. you go ahead Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I was just going to say, I mean, really, the final is the one that I think really will stay in our mind for the longest. And really, we'll just really, I mean, I think those two players really, I mean, it was such a testament and battle of nerves out there, really, for most of the match and so many twists and turns. It was such a tumultuous, tumultuous affair. But really, once um, Novak Djokovic uh, was defaulted, really, it would have really shocked me if there would have been any other winner in the men's tournament apart from uh, Dominic Team and Daniil Medvedev, just because I thought they were on paper they were the most two most ready to capitalize on this opportunity and you know and given how well Team had, had really because I think the two semifinals if we just look at those two semifinals I think we had Pablo Carreño Busta against Alexander Zverev, which was by no means not a high quality match um, match at all and obviously Zverev with the nerves early on and slow starts and then amazing comeback to come and win the next. The next, uh, the next three sets, the way the way he did. But regardless of that, then you saw Team and Medvedev, which you know many people were saying at the time is the de facto final when you consider uh, on paper those were the two heavy favorites left. And then we saw how clutch or how um, how excellent Dominic Team did to come through that match in straight sets. I think he called it the toughest three set win of his career um, in the press conference. Just when you consider that Medvedev had chances in the second set, he had chances in the third set, he had set points in the third set when he was serving, he had a set point on his serve. And, uh, you know, team was better and more better when it really mattered in the tie breaks. And then, so you thought really heading into that final, you thought that, you know, team with the experience of having played three slam finals and this time being in a very, very different, it was a very different situation for him going in with a 7-2 head-to-head against Sasha and, you know, it's being expected to win and really come through. And, and I think that role really played on his mind. And 
he mentioned it after the uh, after the match really that the slow start that he had in the final you can put down to two things one is Zverev being the underdog and not having faced any op- opponent in the final that could match his talent based on the rankings based on the way the draw opened up for him and based on his slow starts against George and Krenubusta you just felt like going in he could maybe be a bit more dangerous in the sense that he could start off the match playing at a very high level and just feel free and to open up and hit. And and that's exactly how it turned out, really. The, in the first two sets, I really thought that Zverev was was excellent and was playing big boy, uh, six-foot-six-man tennis that, you know, many people, when he plays like that, those are the kind of uh, matches that have gotten him to winning three Masters 1000s, winning the ATP Finals, beating the top players, when he can step in and dictate with his forehand, when he makes those first serves and he's confident on the on the second serve, but really a puzzling start from from team in the in that sense and really just battling nerves and he let it linger for uh, for two sets because really I, I didn't think it would be a straightforward final. I think I heard many people on Twitter saying it would be team in three sets or team in four sets even, but I just felt like one of the first two sets, it would not surprise me if, you know, Sasha came out storming and by the way, just like he did in their Australian open meeting. Uh, when when he won the first set and then eventually team took that in two breakers um, at the end but a very high quality match and you know it was just surprising from my end that team you know let it let that let those nerves and battling those nerves linger for two sets and a break Mm -hmm. I guess so we can start there by talking about you know how kind of how the match started and how we got into a fifth yeah, let's just skip to the final, which is the by far the most important thing that happened in the last week. So, Mert, what is your take on that one? Well, we, the two players came into the final like if the three of us were jumping into some lake where we don't know if there are alligators waiting for us, or <laughs> we don't know if it's going to be a nice swim, or if it's going to be, if, if all of a sudden it's going to be some sci-fi movie where we get sucked into the in, deep into the center of the earth. Okay, so it was. They basically literally jumped into a pool of unknowns. You know, we're talking about a tournament with no crowd, no qualifying, all types of inner logistic uh, uh, situations that took place that were not expected. Furthermore, they go, they 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 come to the semis and the finals without the one player that everyone probably predicted would win the tournament. I mean, the, you know, nobody could tell what was going to happen in the women's draw. Nobody was was a, could tell ahead of nobody could sanely predict what was going to happen in the men's draw except one thing that Novak Djokovic everyone felt comfortable that Novak Djokovic would win so that's another unknown you know these two players come into the final not really thinking you know team comes into the final thinking facing somebody he did not expect to face Zverev finds himself in the final not really probably believing in the beginning of the tournament he was going to be there. Team finds himself in a position where he's the favorite, of course. He's the favorite to win for the first time. He's not facing Djokovic or Nadal at the French or at the Australian Open. And Zverev is in the finals for the first time. What did we really expect? I mean, it would have been unfair to expect a regular match here. Of mm. course, it was going to be a weird match. You know, the, the, I did, the, the quality was low for a good four sets. The qual- and I'm talking about the quality of tennis only. Okay, not mm-hmm. drama oh, yeah. or mental or, or 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 manifestation of mental toughness. For example, was at the or or challenge to the mental toughness of the players was at the highest level. But the, the, yes, the tennis quality was low. But then again, I ask, 
what what else did we expect? I mean, you know, of course these guys are going going to be nervous. It's the first time they have a legitimate shot at lifting a a major trophy. So you know, it it, it it's expected that uh, I'm not that surprised that the match turned out to be messy. Let's put it this way. Hmm. In fact, I'll in fact I'll take it one step further. I thought actually Zverev had a very good start to the match. I did not expect him to start that calm. With a with a with a definite game plan, he came into the match with a game plan. He got a, He went out there. He started executing it, and team was nervous to start with, and he would have and he would have gotten over his jitters had he been able to hold his couple of serves first and maybe get to two all, three all. Then you can eventually get rid of your nervousness and start focusing on winning that first set. But Zverev did not give him that chance. You know, yeah. he said every time. Every time the team tried to use a slice or his baseline uh, patterns to get the ball rolling, Zver would jump on top of him on the first short short ball that he saw, and he would come behind it to the net. You know, given given the team uh, the message, look, you better land your shot deep, or I'm going to attack you, and you're going to have to come up with a with a with a passing shot. Something that Medvedev did not do in the semifinals. Mm. He would he would hit balls. And then he would back up to the baseline and, and re-engage in the rally. So, yes, I think Severus had a good start. You know, th- second set was weird because then team sunk even, even further until 5-1. Uh, so he played a really bad second set. This, this time it wasn't really Severus playing the right game, but rather just team playing a, a, a terrible set until yeah. 5-1. And, um, and I'll, just, I'll just cover the second set too then I'll, because I don't want to – talk instead of you guys hmm. but uh, at 5-1 you know there's a volley that Zverev misses on set point that she, she should have made and yeah. then from there he, go, he comes back to 5-4 in my opinion those three games won by by team to get back to 5-4 a little bit of doubt crept into Zverev's mind and a little bit of hope came team's way yes he ended up losing that set it's true but it probably gave Zverev some extra relief to win that set after letting the team come from 5-1 to 5-4, which affected him in the beginning of the third set. He that, that little bit of relief that he felt pulled his game down, whereas team went into the third set with better concentration than he would have had he lost the second set 6-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think even though, as you said, I think it's really interesting that you say it, but uh, that was my thought, and I didn't expect him to, for example, get broken so early in the third set, and that happened, and I was like, what is happening? So I, I think one of the greatest things about this match is it, it was a match of doubt. It was when they both walked on, onto court, um, I guess you can speak from, from a little bit more experience as a former player, but uh, as, a, as as fans and you, you see Team's game and you see how he progressed in the tournament, you, I wasn't think, for example, that um, Zverev would dominate him. I was expecting Zverev to come up and play tentative tennis as well, be just as nervous as team, if not more nervous. But probably he realized he wasn't the underdog and he was like, I'm just going to swing and just try to make go for winners. And he did it for, for quite a long time in the match. You're right. um, but uh, it, it was just surprising and probably very surprising to, to team as well to realize that this was happening to him. And um, surprisingly as well that Zverev was playing so great at the net which is not necessarily like a place that we imagine him very often but he was he was doing crazy good volleys if you if you make a highlight reel of, of only um Zverev's uh, volleys in a couple of teams passing shots you would think that this match was unbelievable it, it was just the the quality of big three tennis and then you like 
wait a minute, like, what is this what exactly happened in this match? So I feel like this is this is what happened in in, in that regard. And the other doubt when uh, when I when you see Zverev that way is like, okay, so it's a three set, it's a best of five match. How long is this going to last? How long is his confidence going to last? How long until the double faults start coming and he starts doubting? And then all of a sudden, in the fifth set, it's a 68-mile-per-hour second serve, which is probably the pinnacle of, uh, of nervousness, of, uh, of mental non-fortitude that he's very had in that match. Obviously, all the cramps and the end of the match as well, but regardless, it's 68 is the least clutch shot you can play in your entire life is, is that second serve. And uh, it, it seems... One of the things that happened, it, it, I've, correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like neither player played at their best in that match at the same time. Uh, no. t- uh, Zverev played incredible in the first uh, s- uh, first set and a half. Um, team played really good as well. He found a, a lot of his range in the in the third and fourth set. He was finding his shots. He was swinging hard as he normally does. Not quite as high ma- as high quality as he uh, usually plays, but much better than the first and second. And and then we get to the fifth set, and then nobody seems to want to win this match anymore. It's just everybody's <laughs> team is cramping and. Uh, Zverev is, is hitting the double faults and both of them serve for the match, but none of them make it and they don't even generate a single match point out of it. It was <laughs> it, it, you watch it and you're like, what is going on? What what is going on? Is this match going to end? <laughs> what is happening? And the tiebreak comes and then all of a sudden that happens and it, it's it, it somebody made a comment at some point. I was like, yeah, of course this match is going to finish fifty eight to sixty on the tiebreaker. And that's how you felt like it was honestly. It was. Yeah. It was just, uh, it was a drama. It, there was so much drama in this match that you forget about the tennis quality. And probably the players forgot about the tennis quality too, just because of how much drama there was in it. So that was, that was like my biggest thing. And uh, one of the things that um, I thought was perfect when the, the tennis podcast people uh, uh, put it up uh, uh, when they made their, their own episode about this um, was uh, this was the most relatable um, tennis Grand Slam final ever, <laughs> and I was <laughs> I was imagining this I was like this is a hundred percent true. It's it's like me trying to serve for the match in the in the the neighborhood league or whatever. It's like I can't serve for the match because I I served three double faults in a row and then I played very floaty slices and zero spin forehands that land right on the on the on the on the service line. It's that's that's how it felt. It's like I it, it I think I think I also mentioned. Um, not sure if on the on on my Twitter account, but maybe on a personal message thread that I would have. It was that um goodness, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, while you think about that, I'll add something to that right there. Sure, go ahead. You know, the, the, and and, and that, that'll give you time to to remember. Um, you, you know, you talked about that uh, 68 miles per hour, you know, the second serve that landed with a parachute, uh, you know, and barely made it over the tape, right? Okay. And, and you know, people forget that the team also had two match points where he gagged the, the one forehand that was right on top of the net. He would probably make that forehand nine out of ten times in his sleep. And yet there, when he when the opportunity came to win the match, he hit it in the net, and then he misses another aggressive forehand the, the, the next match point. But you see, the difference there is Teen is going for the shot. He missed it all right. I mean, he missed it, and he, and he got nervous, and he missed it all right, but he went for it. He, did, he stuck with, it, with what he does best. He just happened to miss the execution. Zverev's game, 
changed a lot in the, you know from 5-3 in the fifth set on he started just basically hoping that uh, that team misses his way into losing the match and it almost happened yeah. but at the end of the day i think the more the more deserving player at the very end and uh, won for me Yeah. But maybe Andre, maybe you remember now what you were. I do, say. I do remember. I was going to say that I think after so many big three matches and domination, I I probably got personally got spoiled with the quality of tennis that they play and the quality of mental strength that they have. That I forget that this is a sport of human beings and this can happen. And it's just because we've been in a, in an era with uh, just three three monstrosities of uh, tennis. And that yeah. that was just about it. That was, that's exactly what I wanted to say. And, so, uh, and Vansh, also, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Vansh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. I'll keep it very short, and then and then you can say. And also, you know, uh, there we there is some admiration, in my opinion, that we should give to these two guys for perhaps having so many lows through the match. You know, having having so many points in the match where they probably felt, oh gosh, I'm playing terrible. This is bad. What is happening here? Oh, I'm going to blow this match. That how that was in my hands. I was up with two sets to love, and now look at this. Or I can, I just came back from five three, went up six five, couldn't finish it off on my serve. You know, going through so many lows, through cramps, body problems, physical issues, and still, you know, at the end of the tiebreaker, be standing up there and trying to win the match. You know, there's something to be said about that too. Mm -hmm. Okay, now Vansh, uh, you can spill out because I know you have a lot of things to say as well. Take it mm -hmm. away, 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you you absolutely, you guys both hit the nail on the head with all of your points. Really, you said mostly everything I was going to say. But I think really the, the the fifth set was just that epitome of relatability that I think uh, that I think many people can really, you know, can take within themselves and really just relate to because it's it's just like one guy had the momentum and the other guy just and the other guy just didn't quite take advantage and it just became it just became a battle of of sheer nerves and 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 we saw like in the fifth set they each got broken i mean i, I mean i i think I, i think people are saying this is a this was a poor quality match i mean what what kind of a final was this but really i think it was i think it was gripping all the way till the end i think one thing that this match didn't lack uh didn't lack was the drama And the the excitement of like who is actually going to come through here, and how will this match end? And 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 I think we just didn't know that all the way through. And and we saw we saw them both getting broken early in the in in the first set, and you, I mean early in the early in the fifth set in their service games. And you just thought, man, this thing is definitely going to a tiebreak. I mean, I just yeah. knew right then that this is definitely going to be a, go go to a tiebreak. And once again, um, I mean, just some of the decision making and some of the some of the tactics I just found a little bit strange with team returning near the back fence on almost every single serve. And I know, you know, I mean, I, I know he's he's exceptional at, at at doing that and returning serves from from way deep in the court. And obviously, we see that a lot with with players nowadays, with Nadal as well doing that. And we see that they're strong enough to actually hit through and get and swing and get plenty of depth and RPM on their shots. But I think for him, it just, it was a matter of just, uh, he wasn't, it was such a big discrepancy in Zverev serving as well, because he would sometimes serve 135 bombs on the second serve. And then eventually he'd go to 75 miles per hour. So it was just such a big, such a big, uh, such a big gap there. And eventually that's what, um, that proactive nature of team's game and willing to go for, to go for shots in big moments. Okay. Albeit missing the execution, but the intent was always there, and, and that's one thing that Zverev will learn from the situation is 
that if he ever gets into a situation now and he's, he speaks to a sports psychologist maybe after this match, when he failed to serve it out at 5-3, he was up two sets to love in a break. He had those chances even at 6-all in the, in, the, in the tie break when team blew those two match points and, and Zverev got away with hitting the 68-mile-per-hour serve because team missed the inside and forehand later. Um, you just still felt like, you know, okay, he might win this match despite all of his, despite some of the weaknesses in his game, despite him uh, being vulnerable sometimes to, uh, to, uh, to changes of pace on his forehand or maybe the, or the fragility of the second serve and just backing off in key moments and playing a counterpunchy, pushy style of, of play, which he's very good at. I mean, his defense was very good in, the, in this match. His net play was amazing. Some of those half volleys that he was able to dig out, and he's become he's become a great volleyer, which is not something that I that I would have expected. And uh, but certainly, if you you just wonder with Zverev, I mean, if he can iron out these, if he can iron out that second serve, I mean, he was three times two points away from winning, from winning from winning a slam. And it's just it's just so amazing to me that that he came that close. And he will, he will, he will iron it out. He just like he's ironing out. Other parts of his game over the last four, five, six years, he will iron that out too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure. But go ahead. I didn't mean to, you know. I, but you touched on a good point there, and uh, I think uh, over the years, Zverev has improved a lot of the, a lot of the facets of his game, and he's one of these guys who just goes up the steps little by little, but at a steady pace. I think he will iron that out too. His first serve has improved tremendously from 2016, 17 to today. But yeah, go ahead and finish what you were saying. I, I kind of wanted to insert that right there. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you're a coach, so I, I guess I just wanted to ask you. I mean, what do you what do you make of that shaky second serve? I guess, and because in the big moments, I mean, eventually it did do him some good in this in this tournament, and he had 15 aces and 15 doubles. But the double falls just seemed to creep up at the wrong times, and you know, we just see that instability on that serve, and we see that we see it lingering, and and I think that's what. That's what concerns us as viewers when we just see him toss the ball up and we just, we can almost just, you know, you see those double faults coming. And I think, uh, you know, in a, in a big match like this, it really manifested in itself in a way because, you know, team, you know, despite being so far below his best, was able to, was able to really come through and it was to Zverev's detriment at the end, I think. So, I mean, on, on, a technic, on a technical note, uh, of course, his coaches see him every single day on the court. I would uh, they would know a lot better than anyone else what to yeah. do with it, or 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 Sasha himself. You know, just just from an outside observer, uh, the direction I would go with would be to 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 go for a higher kick serve. You know, high clearance over the net with plenty of kick in it, so that it comes down quickly. That way you clear the net, and at the same time, you, uh, you make sure that it doesn't go deep. And the one way to do that is to toss the ball a little bit more behind you, increase the wrist snap so that you can get more of a spin on the ball. And that way, regardless of how high you hit the ball over the net, the spin is so heavy or the kick is so heavy on it that it, it rolls down and comes down to the inside the box. Now, of course, does that mean that uh, his second serve might lose some mile MPH? Sure. But that's okay, you know. If it avoids, if it if it if it keeps him away from making 15 double faults a match, yes, that would help. But at the same time, you know, another thing that he could, he could do better is probably get a higher percentage of first serves in, so he has to serve less second serves. 
I don't, I'm not against the idea of him once in a while nailing his second serve. You know, if, you get, if, he, if he's serving in the 70% or above range, and once in a while he just goes, you know, he goes for a hard first serve as a second serve, that's okay too, you know, in, instead, of a, instead of a shaky second serve. But, and, and, but in terms of second serves, when he has to get one in, what you need to do is actually swing harder and, 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 and snap your wrist more to give more of a kick effect to the ball. The problem is when you get nervous, and your elbow feelings like it starts to feel like a like a you know 54 pounds heavy it's hard to swing at the ball you know when you when you toss it up and your and your arm gets nervous shaky too so your toss might go irregular so at the end of the day it's it's more of a it's it's more of a mental case but his first serve percentage has gotten better over the years a lot better i think i think he's going to solve the second serve second serve problem too we're talking about a guy who was served, who's who served at 55% Throughout the 2015 season, 64 percent in the 2018 season, and he started this season with seven out of ten in, 70 percent at the Australian Open. You know, up to the Australian Open. Now at the U.S. Open, until the final here, he was serving at 68.68 percent first serves. That's good. If he can get that, you know, 70 percent or above, he won't have to deal with that many second serves, and then it becomes less of a problem, and less, uh, you know. Less uh, less situations where he has to face uh, hitting a second serve. But to your technical question, I'd go with a high kick serve at the cost of, you know, maybe sitting it and letting it sit up for the opponent. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting because I've actually never seen him ever hit a kick serve before. He, ta- he tosses the ball. He, he he's tossed a little bit too far in front. Or yeah, that's what to I the heard. Right, you know, it's not uh, it's hard to get a get a good kick serve off of a toss that's not really above your head or a little bit behind your head but you know some players can do it but uh yeah in his case apparently that's not what I would do. But, you know that's <laughs> yeah. i'm talking as a far away observer so yeah and i think those two double faults as well in the tiebreaker i think he mentioned in his press conference afterwards that they were due to cramps in his left quad and he couldn't quite push off the way he would have wanted to that's right um, that's the that's the silent cost here that we did mention you're right that's a, it's a great thing that you brought that up bunch yeah yeah, the, yeah. I, I just feel like I wanted to yeah, go say, ahead, say just, just one more thing about this match. I guess from my end, you guys can maybe just add one uh, final remark as well. But like, yeah. the more I, the more time goes by and the more I think about this match, the more I like it. It's, a, it's such a, it's a, it was such a weird match with so many things to it. The, the, as a fan, I guess, particularly the, the way that I'm going to remember it is like, it's like, holy crap, like this happened and, I'm so happy I was there to to watch it. Like to do two players that are not big three that that are probably breaking new ground in tennis uh, in the next era that's to come uh, after Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and obviously um, Murray, who was for the longest part a part of a big four as well, just couldn't achieve the double digits slams that his uh, rivals could. But I think as as far as entertainment goes, uh, goes uh, this this tennis match was amazing i i really enjoyed watching it and i couldn't i couldn't take my eyes off of my screen my screen as well for a different reason than uh than the azarenka serena match but equally entertainment in, entertaining in, in that sense i think i think it was really just a really really good match and i hope this doesn't happen very often but the fact that it happened i'm not i'm not i'm not sad about it i think it was 
probably one of the best, most fitting ways to finish such a weird um, Grand Slam in the pandemic. And uh, Mert, I just wanted to ask you one question since I keep saying that this is a podcast about recreational tennis as well. For all of us who um, don't play tennis professionally, do you have any tips on how can we how can we serve a, a second serve properly? Because this is probably one of my biggest woes in life is serving a terrible second serve. <laughs> and I can guarantee no. you a serve like a probably 40 miles per hour second serve. I, I will you, guarantee you. You would, not, you would not be the only recreational player to do that. Don't, <laughs> don't feel bad about that. Second, you know, serving, it's, it's, it's a long process. It starts with a good toss. You have to have mechanics. There's, uh, you know, it's something that a good pro needs to show you on the court rather than someone looking across Skype or, 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 or Zoom. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going into it. There's the, you know, there's the knee bend, the hip, hip rotation. Um, you got to have strong stomach muscles, wrist snap, how, where you toss the ball, et cetera, et cetera, how you place your feet. It, it's, it's a very complicated uh, mechanics involved with it. Yeah. But uh, to, to go back to, the, to, to what you just mentioned about the final, uh, Vansh, I think you used an adjective there. You said gripping. And you're right. Yes, it was it was super gripping. And again, I, you know, in, in my opinion, of course, it was low quality tennis for for four and a half sets, but it was highly gripping match mm. all the way through. If you wanted to observe, if you wanted to learn and observe two champions or two high level professionals trying to deal with the ups and downs of a situation they've never been in before, and how how human they were actually, rather than just you know world class champions. So in that sense, it was riveting, gripping. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. And at the end of the day, one last point I'll make, and this will be the last one I'll make, is that what made the difference perhaps at the very end is what also made the difference in most of the matches from round of 16s on. You have to be a seasoned five-set player nowadays to do well in the majors. I think in the final, there was a the, the, the small difference might have very well been that Teen is a more seasoned five-set performer in the majors than, than Zverev is at the end of the day. Zverev is too, by the way. But Team has more um, experience, more knowledge of how, of how it feels to be there. You know, he led Djokovic two sets to one in, in Australia. You know, he, he went, he tied one set each against Nadal at the French. He has won, he has beaten the top players in the majors, including the elite players. He, so he has, you know, he, he's been there before in that sense, at that far. That was Zverev's first final. But if you watch Zverev, if you look at Zverev's, uh, um, you know, graph, graph, you know, uh, on how he does in the majors, he's slowly moving up there. And this was prominent, by the way, in my opinion, in the other matches too. You know, Pablo Carreño Busta beat Shapovalov because he's a more seasoned five-set performer. You know, he's more, he's, he's just more veteran. He knew how to conserve his energy at the end of the fourth set, you know, he, he to get ready for the fifth set. Shapovalov was not ready. You know, it's a learning process. This is this is a, this is a slow learning process. Nobody they don't nobody gets to play five setters anymore outside of the majors. No more Davis Cup five setters. No more five sets in the finals like it used to be 20 years ago. The only way you're going to gain this experience, you're going to walk up the stairs to reach that summit where Paradise Land is. You have to, you cannot jump the stairs at five or six steps at a time. You have to take it one by one. It's a long process. Days of 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds winning majors are long gone, in my opinion. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's those are that's a fantastic point, really, because that that's a common theme I noticed in the second week of the of the U.S. Open on the men's side, particularly the more seasoned veterans, the more seasoned, more experienced at the highest level in terms of five setters did well because yeah, I mean like Zverev has played a lot of five set matches, but mostly there have been five set matches early in tournaments, you know, in 2018, 2019, 2017, where he wasn't really making that next step. But he's I think- getting there slowly, but you're right. You're right. I mean, he's, he went to the quarterfinals first. He went to the semis at the Australian Open here, and now he's in the finals. He lost a heartbreaker. Next time, he's going to be even more ready. You know, so you are yeah. completely right. And so that leads perfectly into my, you know, last final, I guess, thought for the three of us, I guess, is, you know, what can we take for both these players, you know, moving forward, considering that we have the French Open coming up now and in, in, in two weeks, which is awfully quick. Uh, and a quick turnaround and team has played a lot of tennis and, uh, and, and Zverev as well. So, I mean, like, and team probably has to be considered a top three favorite for, for Roland Garros, uh, you know, next to Nadal and maybe even the second favorite behind Nadal. So, I mean, what are your expectations for team? Uh, let's start with team, I guess, uh, in the clay court season. I, I believe he's not playing Rome and I'm not sure if he's playing Hamburg either. I, I, I'd, I'd be shocked if he plays uh, Hamburg. You know, I, I, in his place, the best thing to do would be just simply go ahead and play Roland Garros. You know, yeah. start start with the French Open, and uh, and even then we'll see how he recovers mentally. But I think he'll I think he'll have recovered. He's he's usually in great physical shape, and uh, he'll be ready. It might work to his advantage now that he's got that one major trophy in his uh, in his uh, you know up in his. Uh, showroom so you know it might help him and plus he's he's on his more familiar ground which is clay which is clay course so yes to expect team to go at least to the semi-finals here at Roland Garros is completely conventional like there's nothing wrong with expecting that the, the question is how he will do if he once he gets there yeah. And, and if you and if you're saying well he's the second favorite you're you, you're not wrong either there's a good a good argument to be made there but let's see once again. You know, we're 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 in a weird weird season here. You know, we we played a we played U.S. Open Cincinnati back to back three weeks in the same location, and now we flew there without any turnaround. Another ATP 1000 tournament started. Team didn't get to play it, but others play it, so they'll be more ready on clay, perhaps in terms of match play when the when Roland Garros starts. So there are a lot of unknowns here. It's really hard to project, in my opinion. What could happen, you know, um, uh, three weeks from now, four weeks from now in the second week of French Open? But I'm going to stick with my, you know, with what I said earlier. I think being a seasoned five-set performer helps here. And that puts Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Dominic Team at a different level than the rest of the guys on the men's side. True. And I think what could be a factor as well later in Roland Garros is also the weather conditions and uh, the the fact that there's a roof this year and there are cooler temperatures and that may may hurt Nadal's chances by a sliver um, if it if it gets there with the you know low bouncing surface and different balls I mean it's it's very marginal we're talking about very subtle differences here on clay it's mm-hmm. still clay after all but but yeah I mean it's going to be interesting to see how the players really cope with that and there's a big gap between those three and the, and the rest of the field and so yeah. Um, Andre, is there something? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily because I feel like I'm in the same boat as Mark here. Like it's so much, so much harder to predict than you than 
we're normally used to because we don't get the regular season two um, serve as a barometer. And I feel like Novak Djokovic is, is a person that, as a player that is, it's hard to predict at this point, especially because he got defaulted. So we didn't actually get to see much of him in a major playing against like the biggest guys, the biggest threats to him. Um, it, it so it, it kind of he kind of like slipped a bit, like as, as in in my mind a little bit. So I'm like, wait a minute, like what what's what's what about Djokovic? Is he going to do well? I, so I think um, Rome, okay. and I have something to say about Rome as well. I think Rome is going to be a good starting point for us to start thinking. Okay, this is this is mm-hmm. where Nadal is at. This is where Djokovic is at, and they're showing good good um, good traction right now on clay. And speaking of clay, uh, because it's probably the most um, irregular if you will uh surface there has been already a couple problems in rome of players complaining about the 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 quality of the courts and this is one of the things that i really hope that um they can uh, take note at roland garros if so that they can be they can make sure that the clay course that the courts are top notch there no problems with it no irregular bounces all the time this is just perfect clean clay that they can play on because i would hate for that to be a factor and yeah i think about team i want to see him on his first match on clay and and, and then i'll be ready to give an answer to that one uh, i know that, i know that's cheating a little bit but this is this is how i feel i have no uh true idea of what's gonna happen in the future and uh since we are at the future now um let's just segue to the end of this podcast so yeah, thank you very much, uh, Mert, for being here. Thanks much again. And uh, Mert, do you have anything to plug? No, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a delightful tennis conversation, something that uh, I could do 24 hours a day if I didn't need any sleep and I didn't have a regular life to lead. So uh, there, I very much enjoyed um, uh, hearing you guys' in- input on these matches. Yeah, it was amazing to hear your insight, I think, from a coach's stamp per- per- perspective, but also as someone who follows the game regularly and is very active, um, you know, watching matches. And and uh, you've been somewhat of a professional, closer than us both by far mm-hmm. uh, to the pro-, pro level. So I think it was tremendous to hear your insight. No, you, you guys are good observers, too, for sure. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a, an ex-player to necessarily understand everything. I mean, it helps, it helps, don't get me wrong, but you, you guys are good uh, good observers. Why don't you Thanks, tell, very our, kind. tell our listeners where we can uh, find you on, on Twitter and Tennis with an Accent. Yes, uh, so the Tennis with an Accent is uh, the website for which I write with Saki Bali and Matt Zemek, and we do podcasts also, and it's uh, at, on Twitter, accent under um, underscore tennis, at accent underscore tennis. And for me, it's Murtoff's it's, uh, Murtoff's tennis desk is my own blog, but I of course shortened it for, uh, for Twitter. So I went with at Murtov, M-E-R-T-O-V, S Murtov's T desk. So T for tennis, just Murtov's T desk, no underscores, nothing all, or, all in a row. Or you can just simply look it up by Mert. It's okay. I'm there on tennis Twitter. If you follow tennis stuff, I'll probably pop up somewhere. Yeah, that's right. And uh, don't forget to also follow us on Twitter. Vansh is at VanshV2K, I believe, right? I, I think I always get this wrong. Vansh? That's, that's right. That's right. Okay, that's perfect. I'm finally getting getting it wrong, getting it right. Uh, I have a really bad memory about this, this type of stuff. I'm sorry. And that's follow cool. me. I am the official manager of uh, the Tennis and Bagels uh, on Twitter, which is just basically my, my Twitter account. Um, tennis underscore Bagels. Uh, you can find me there. And... Uh, 
follow me as well follow us rather on uh, facebook and on instagram we also tennis and bagels just find us we're probably the only tennis and bagels in the whole internet and um yeah all of those stuff are going to be in the description wherever you listen to it and if you listen to it on apple Podcasts. Uh, and you like this, please leave us a review. Please leave us a five-star review if you really enjoyed it. And a comment, what should we do better? What, do we, what would you want us to talk on the next episodes and whatnot? And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And a last thank you for Mert. And I'll see you guys later. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.